Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you in worship today, and welcome to all of you who are with us online from many different locations today, and when we say that every single week, we mean it. There are a lot of you. Uh, Last weekend, we had 80 households viewing church online, and Oklahoma, that's 3.06 people per average household. I missed maybe 240 people last week with us online, so however many there are of you out there, we love you, and we're so thankful that We get to be in your home or on the road with you today, and I just want you to know that you're not alone. A lot of people are with us online. Last week, I was in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and talked about what it means to be a living sacrifice and also what it means to have our minds transformed, the renewal of the mind through the Holy Spirit. I shared this with you. To be a living sacrifice isn't just getting on the altar but also choosing to stay there. It's not just the moment of conversion, here I am God, I belong to you, but it's this daily, almost hourly surrender to who God is. We stay on the altar. I also discussed the many modern day idols that we wrestle with, idols that interfere with the renewal of our minds, such as, let me see if anybody can relate to these, comfort, control, money, approval, success, and so on. Um, And then I brought up this little thing that we deal with in life, this little addiction that we have to our cell phones. And I asked this question, how is our God time in comparison with our screen time? Many of you were not happy with me after asking that question last week. Many others reached out to me and shared what a convicting text Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 has been in their spiritual lives. I only share that all to say, and to recap last week, I share that to say that Romans 12, 9 to 21, where we're going to be today, is no easier to digest. This is a really tough chapter, uh, and, it, and it is an uppercut punch to our idolatry and to our pride and to any ways that you and I might be living in our flesh. Please don't say I didn't warn you. Are you ready? Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, 
but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Ah. Deep breath, everyone. This is Romans 12. This is week 14 of our summer series in Romans. And this is my final sermon to preach in this series. Congratulations, Dave. You get to finish it next week. I'm so excited for you. This is tough text. And these feelings and behaviors and actions are the result of a transformed mind. I want you to know today it is completely unrealistic, dare I say impossible, that we can live out Romans 12, all the entire chapter, through our own strength and our own ability. It requires the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's impossible, these behaviors, feelings, and actions to be lived out in our own strength. So before we dive into the text, I want to offer you two possible motivations behind this text. And there are probably more, but I'm just going to offer two this morning. And the first is this. Paul was possibly concerned about the interaction between believers, these new believers, and then this non-believing society that they lived in. 1 Peter 4.4, 4, we find this. Christians were surrounded by an immoral society, and we read that they, the pagan world, are surprised that you, these new believers, you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I mean, this is what the early believers were living with. To make matters worse, the wickedly infamous Nero was the emperor at the time of Paul's writing. And under his reign, there was a steadily growing and increasing pressure against these new believers. When I preached on Romans chapter 8, I shared with you that a fire had swept through Rome, destroying 10 out of the 14 districts. Over 70% of the city burned down. Now, this is only seven years after Paul wrote Romans. Many people started, and, and rumors started circling, that the emperor caused this fire, that he was actually on the roof playing a fiddle. That's what tradition tells us as the city burned down, that he caused the fire because he wanted more real estate. He wanted to build himself a new palace. And so, generally speaking, people got really frustrated with the emperor. So what did he do to avoid the outrage of the people? Well, he shifted the blame onto this new group of radical people following the way, right? These new Christians were now held responsible in society's eyes for the fire. 
And for the next four years until the emperor's death, Christians were horrendously, and I mean horrendously, you can research this and see, horrible persecution. Horrible persecution. And so, that could have been persecution so bad that that's where also Paul and Peter lost their lives during this period. This could be one of the motivations behind the text. How do these believers live in a non-believing society? The second is this. Paul could have been concerned about the strife within the Roman church itself. Within these new believers, all learning how to live according to the way, still having strife among them. Jewish and Gentile conflicts were not new to this early church. It is quite possible that hostility had developed among these groups of people to the extent that it was actually interfering with and spoiling their fellowship. I'm not sure today if you know this. Christians can be very mean and very grumpy people. If you want evidence, let me show you my inbox and some of the emails I received during this little thing called a pandemic. Did you laugh, Leanne? (laughs) Christians can be very mean and very, even though we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. We have goodness, but we can also be mean to one another. In fact, I found something this week that illustrates this. This is your mom before church. That's your mom when you got here. And when she saw all of her girlfriends in the lobby. Hey, everything's good. As far as you know, we're a nice, healthy family. We just dismissed our first through fourth grade kids. If we pulled them all back in here and I said, which one put you in the car to come to church this morning? Yeah. If Paul wrote Romans 12, 9 through 21, to address strife within the church, well, we are the church. So that's a great segue in this sermon. Let's consider how this text applies today in our context. And I'm going to offer seven instructions that I see in the text. There are more, of course, but we can't get through all of this because you have lunch planned. As I share these seven, I want you to realize, I want you to notice that all seven of these are sacrificial in nature. And so all seven of these instructions in Scripture, they're pointing back to Romans 12, verse 1 and verse 2, what it means to be a living sacrifice. Now we have these practical instructions. How do we live together as living sacrifices? Number one, love others and mean it. The word here is agape, expressing the highest form of love. And to embody this love, we don't merely stay away from evil, but what does the text say? We hate it. We don't merely 
do what is good and try to live and make the right choice, but we cling to what is good. So as believers, our renewed minds, transformed existence should reveal itself in a kind of love that is not just merely on display every once in a while, but through the esteem and the genuine affection that we have for one another that we demonstrate in very practical ways. We love one another and we mean it. Number two, be devoted. Get a pen or get a phone. This is important stuff. Come on, write this down. Be devoted to others. The root of this word expresses a brotherly love. The love that Paul is suggesting is familial love. And maybe he was thinking about David's song in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil being poured over the head. You know, there are many times that I tell another man in this church, hey bro, I love you. (laughs) And there are many times that men in this church don't know what to do when I say I love you. They freeze. They stare at me. I've received a thumbs up before. I've been told thank you. I love you, bro. Thank you. You know, this is, this is the vulnerability that exists in the body of Christ. When we love one, and we're not loving each other based off of 40 years of friendship, right? We're loving each other because I identify you as the temple of the same Holy Spirit that I am. I identify you as a worshiper of the same King that I worship. We are united in the body of Christ and we love each other. So when I tell you I love you, tell me you love me back. Thank you. Practice. Practice it even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's awkward. That's vulnerability. There is risk in vulnerability. But vulnerability is healthy for us to practice, especially in the body of Christ. When I tell you I love you, it's not, hey, bro, it's I'm devoted to you. And I know that we're devoted to each other, so we're going to practice this right now. I love you. I'm devoted to you. You could, you could say, that, that one we need to work on again. I am devoted to you. Now look to somebody next to you and say, I love you too. Try it. Good. All right, come back to me. Number three, show honor through humility. One author writes this about the non-elite people of Rome. Most of them saw their neighbors as competitors, not comrades, in the harsh struggle for scarce resources. Listen to this. To have nothing was to be nothing. To have nothing was to be nothing in the Roman world. In their culture, people looked down on their neighbors with something of the same disdain that the elite looked down on them. Not much humility at play here. And Paul is insisting that if God has refashioned our thinking, that we will live by radically different standards. We will live in a way 
that those who don't know Christ will look at us and say that we are strange. We are weird people. We're not like anyone else. He or she doesn't want the honor, but is giving honor away. We renounce this vicious competition for honor that dominated the Roman society as well as our society today. So we seek through humility, we seek to honor others above ourselves. Number four, sustain spiritual passion. The verb here for fervor is zeo, which means to bubble up or to boil. This is the Holy Spirit for a believer. The indwelling of the Spirit keeps bubbling up and boiling over in our lives, in our service to the Lord. So question for you, do you ever pray, read your Bible, attend worship, and still feel spiritually dry? Can you identify with that feeling? I'm actually practicing some spiritual disciplines here. I hadn't missed church in two weeks. And that was a joke. But you say, even with these disciplines in my life, I'm feeling spiritually dry right now. You want some advice? Go spend time with somebody else who's spiritually passionate, spiritually vibrant, spiritually alive, where the fire is hot. You know, fire spreads, right? This passion can be contagious. Don't isolate yourself when you feel spiritually dry, but seek the community and seek the fellowship of others in this body of Christ. Number five, and hang in there on this one, bless those who hurt you. It's tough. When we do this, we are imitating Jesus, who is the chief and supreme example of a living sacrifice. When we bless those who hurt us. The word here for bless is eulageo, which means to, doesn't mean what we do when we're typically offended, bless his heart. Right? You guys, we've all said that, bless her heart. Eulageo is not bless your heart, it's to speak well of. So it's not only not slandering, it's not only not speaking poorly, it's not only not gossiping, it's actually speaking well of the person who hurts you. I don't know if you can relate, but when people hurt me, I don't want to bless them. Is it just me that's being sanctified here? When people hurt me, I don't immediately think of words of blessing. I think of other words. Unkind words. And why do I have unkind thoughts towards the people who hurt me? It's because of anger. Anger interferes with blessing. You're going to exhaust yourself if you're trying to bless someone and speak well of them and you're still angry at them. Anger is going to intercept that blessing. So when you hear me preach this text, bless those who hurt you, you not only think, I don't want to bless people who hurt me, you're also thinking, I don't want to deal with my anger towards that person. And God is saying to you, with his help, you can deal with that anger. God sees your hurts. God knows each and every one of your wounds And every one of your wounds is important to him. And he wants to help you. 
through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God's presence indwelling, He wants to help you overrule that anger so that you can bless and not curse. Bless and not curse. Now, I want to make it very, very clear that the Scripture doesn't say, bless that person and then rebuild a friendship. The Bible doesn't say, bless that person and then trust him again, or bless that person and give her another chance. The Bible doesn't say, bless that person and move on because it's no big deal. That's not what the text is saying. So I want to make it very clear that when we teach these passages on blessing others, on forgiving others, on letting our grievances go, that in any case of abuse or any unhealthy relationship that puts you at risk, this passage is not God saying and calling you to return to that place of abuse. This passage is not calling you to return to that unhealthy relationship that puts you at risk. Also in the same text, Romans 12, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But I'm here to tell you, if there's abuse, that's not a place that God's calling you to return to. So bless and do not curse, but also perhaps do not go back there. Everybody okay with that? Number six, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. This is, you know, you're going to have a colleague that gets a promotion that you wanted. This is not rejoicing for that colleague. Good for you. No, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn, we lean into the gut-wrenching pain that people experience, and we sit there with them. And we share tears with one another. We're not proud, we're not conceited. This is what it looks like to live in harmony. And what I'm going to say next, I'm going to ask you to refrain from elbowing anyone next to you. Thankfully, my wife is far enough to not elbow me. But part of living in harmony with others is to know when you need to take your upper lip and your bottom lip and close them together. It's that simple. Part of living in harmony with one another is knowing when to shut up so that those around you don't have to tell you to shut up. You just know, I got to stop talking. The majority of the conflict that I'm responsible for, please don't amen in my family, the majority of the conflict that I create in our home wouldn't happen if I just knew when to stop talking. So when you look in the mirror, let's be reminded that God gave us one mouth and two ears. One mouth, two ears. Therefore, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry, James 1.19. Almost done. Number seven, don't get even. Do any of you have children that like to wrestle? I have one. His name is Andre. He's getting bigger and stronger by the minute. I wish I could take credit for his eight-pack, but I can't. And he likes to play rough. And he's big enough and strong enough now where he's got a pretty impressive jab that can sting a little. So he often hears this from me. If you mess with the bull, 
you get the horns. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. So as soon as he punches me, comes up behind and pushes me, what do you think I do? I just preached on, I bless him. I speak highly of him. Andre, you're such a fine young man. I don't do that. I chase him. And I chase him to get even. I chase him to get revenge. Although I can't catch him, I still chase him. Many of us learned as children that two wrongs don't make a right. That's what Romans 12, 17 to 21 is saying here. The fact that someone has done something that is unjust or dishonest is no justification for us acting in a similar way. We don't get even. Yet when we are tempted to, we remember Deuteronomy 32, 35, which is quoted here in chapter 12, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord, not us. Love others and mean it. Be devoted to others. Show honor through humility. Sustain spiritual passion. Bless those who hurt you. Live in harmony. Don't get even. That sounds like a living sacrifice to me. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your word how it encourages us, guides us, and also in the case of Romans 12, convicts us, corrects us, refines us. You have shown us the way to live through the life of Jesus Christ and also through the pages of Scripture. So maybe there are others here who would acknowledge and confess, as I do today, that I don't get it right. Times every day I don't get it right. So I repent of that and I ask for your help. I know that the instructions in this chapter are impossible for me to embody without the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, help. Help us live this out. For the glory of God. For the good of neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship? Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.